Thanks, guys. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here today. Thanks for coming out. Uh, I want to uh, start with a little pre-sermon before I get to what I really want to talk about today, which is, is Jesus a Republican? Yes, we're going to go there. <laughs> but before I get there, I just want to underline something Pastor Matt said earlier today and how important it is for us, for you to get connected in community here at East Point. Whether it's involved in serving and getting to be a part of a team and getting to know people there, uh, giving away your gifts, being equipped to give away your gifts to the benefit of the kingdom and others, whether it's getting involved in a life group, a small group, whether it's a, a quilting group or a financial peace class, whatever it is, we really want to encourage you. I want to give you my little pre-message message that says you need to get con connected. You need to be involved in community around here. In fact, here's what I know. I know that if you don't get involved in community and, and connected at some level in, in our community of faith here at East Point, you won't stay very long. Because you'll wander from church to church or place to place looking for something that's probably not out there. And, and uh, what I want to encourage you to do is engage. I want to encourage you to take the risk to really get to know people. It is my conviction that the day is coming. I don't know whether it's a week, a month, a year, a decade from now. But I truly do believe this. The day is coming when things are going to get a lot harder than they are right now in our culture, in our world, and in our country. And I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Have you read the book? Basically, the story is that things don't necessarily get better. At some point, the bottom falls out. And I believe the Lord is coming soon. I just believe that. But here's what I know. When things get tough, it is the community of faith that we have that will sustain and carry and hold us. It is the community of faith that you experience that will give you the support and the hope and the help that you will need when those days come. Some of you are going through tough times right now, dealing with cancer and financial issues and bankruptcy and all sorts of other problems. It is the community of faith that will encourage you and stand with you now and in the weeks, months, and years to come. And I'll tell you what, I walked around this place yesterday praying, and my prayer continues to be something that maybe you've not heard in a while, and I want you to hear today. I don't believe God will grow our congregation, what we experience here on Sunday morning, beyond our community. I, I believe church on Sunday is important. What we do here in terms of collectively worshiping God is powerful, and there's no substitution for what we can do here. I believe the opportunity I have to bring the word or whoever's teaching, that's important. That's incredible. But guys, and can I say this gently and lean on some of you just a little bit? Church is more than just an hour on Sunday. It is to be a community of faith that we live in, that we walk in. The people we go to school with, the people we work with, the people we live next door to, in your small groups, you need to be connected to other people. You need to experience community. And I do not believe that God will grow our congregation. We've got 11, 1,200 people show up here every weekend. And I believe there are tens of thousands in this valley and belong that need to know Jesus. But I am convinced of this. God will not grow our congregation beyond our community because we need to be prepared to handle it when the people come. We need people to understand that this is a value to us. And when the day comes, and it will, People need to look at the church and go see how they love one another. And I don't think that we, that we want to wait till then to get good at this. I think we can get good at it now. Can I get one amen? Yeah. Damn, I got more than one. That's good. <laughs> so if you uh, today, after the service, stop by the tables. There are many opportunities. Pick up one of these Life Group uh, Get Connected directories. I got it upside down. Uh, directory for the fall 2012. Pick one of those up. And if you don't see something in there that you like and you want to do something else, guess what? Our job... It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. People come to me and say, we need to do this. And I smile and go, yes, you do. So if you want to start something, let us know. Contact Pastor Nate or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Brian or myself. Hey, Pastor Matt, we want to help you get involved in engaging community here at East Point. Okay, enough said? Okay, enough said. Let's move on to the message today. I have uh, uh, appreciated and want to just tell you, thank you again 
for your patience with us, for being here today, uh, for opening your hearts to listen last week as I dealt with a very difficult topic of abortion. Uh, in both services, there were a handful of people that got up and walked out, but I, I, I hope you came back today, and I want to thank you for listening. As I said last week, I will say again today, I do not expect everyone to agree with everything I say around here. That just ain't going to happen. And this is not a cult, so you don't have to. We do not expect you to agree with everything that's said from every person that stands on this stage, whether it's me or one of the other teaching pastors. What I do expect, though, is that you listen with an open heart. And I am aware that from time to time, we will push a button. From time to time, we will say something that you will strongly disagree with. From time to time, we might even say, I might even say something that's wrong. It's possible. I'm human. And I just want you to know that, that the best thing we can do is love each other. I, I quoted last week, Peter said, uh, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And so I want to applaud you for coming back today. I want to encourage you and challenge you again to listen with an open heart and to guard our unity even if you disagree. Let's practice mutual respect and mutual civility. Let's be like Jesus. What a radical idea. A smarter pastor would probably not do a hot-button series in the midst of a political season. I've never been accused of being very smart. That's never really happened in my life. So it is my conviction, though, that we need to take a look at um, grace and truth. That is my responsibility as a teacher. Someday I'll stand before Jesus, responsible for what I say. And it's my job as best as possible by the grace of God to bring grace and truth each week. And it's not just grace or truth but grace and truth. And you know, sometimes based on our personalities, we tend to lean towards one or the other. Some of you are just merciful and kind and nice people, and you tend to lean towards grace. Some of you, not quite as merciful and kind as others, and you tend to lean towards truth. And I don't think in the kingdom it's supposed to be either or. It's both and. Grace without truth is liberalism, and truth without grace is legalism. And I don't want to go to either one of those things. Henry Cloud put it this way, truth without grace is just judgment, and grace without truth is license. Man, that's good. Truth without grace is just judgment, and grace without truth is license. If you're new to East Point, and you've not been around here very long, you need to know that we will not airbrush out any real talk of sin. We're not afraid to go there. But we will not practice any legalistic attitudes of harsh condemnation or judgment either. That's not going to be who we are. Why? Because that's not who Jesus was. Jesus came to bring both grace and truth. John 1.14 says the word, capital W, Jesus, the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and listen to this phrase, full of grace and truth. John said Jesus came, and in him we see the Father. We see who God is like. We hear what God is like. We see the heart of God. And, and John wrote these words that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And that's our goal. That's my goal today. That being said, let's dive into the topic of politics. And again, I know I go where angels fear to, fear to tread, but we're going to go there anyhow. Uh, I know the mention of politics, um, and especially if you mention politics and religion in the same sentence, can raise the tension in just about any room. And I know that, but we've got to go there. Because I think there's an awful lot of confusion in the church even about what matters most. I've had conversations with people who adamantly believe that Jesus was a Democrat because he had compassion on the poor, 
And after all, he had long hair and a beard. Hello. So, of course, he was a Democrat. I've had people adamantly and, and argue that, no, Jesus strongly, he would have been a Republican because he was all about small government. He only had a small organization, and he was pro-life. And so they would argue, nope, Jesus, he's a Republican. And at the risk of bursting your bubble or taking you off right out of the chutes here today, let me clearly say Jesus was neither a Democrat nor a Republican. Wow. I like you guys. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus does not fit perfectly into any political party's platform. Though there are values that he would agree with, there are values on both sides of the, the aisle that he would affirm. He is, though, and this is what I want you to walk out of here with today. First and foremost, he is and always will be King of kings and Lord of lords. He's above the political, which is to say Jesus is above all political parties. When he was arrested... Uh, just before his crucifixion, he was brought before the Roman governor, a guy, guy by the name of Pilate. And uh, this is what he said to Pilate in John 18, 36. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. I don't know how it gets any clearer than that. Jesus looked at this Roman governor, this guy, in, uh, the, the most powerful man in Jerusalem. And he said, listen, you need to understand, my kingdom is not of this, this world. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus made it clear. Now, of course, and I want to be clear about this too, the values of the kingdom do and should affect our values. But we can't, cannot afford to be confused about this. Only his kingdom is eternal. And as Christ followers, his kingdom should be what matters most to us. Only the kingdom of Jesus. He went around proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. He sent his disciples to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so let's take a look at what matters most. If you're following along today in your outline, here's the first point, number one. Focus where Jesus focused. What matters most? Focus where Jesus focused. He did not, did not have a political agenda. He came for one reason, to restore us to relationship with the Father. In fact, Jesus made his mission clear. Multiple times he said why he came. And Luke 19.10 is a one-sentence statement that is absolutely clear. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, my mission is to seek and to save, to restore people to relationship with God. Jesus did not come to create a political party. And that, that was frustrating to many, the zealots especially. But he didn't come to defeat Rome or any other power through a political agenda. He came to change one life at a time through the power of God's grace and God's mercy. That's why he came. Now listen carefully to me. I am not saying because some of you are involved in politics, and I support that. I am not saying that politics don't matter. I'm not saying that politics are evil in and of themselves. I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. In fact, just the opposite. But what I am saying is this. Let me be painfully clear. That we must first and foremost, in our hearts and in our minds and in the way we live, put the kingdom of God and God's agenda first. And his agenda is clear. He came to reach the lost and to love the found. And so let me say it again. This might shock some of you, but God is not aligned with any political party, and there are real Christians on both sides of the aisle. There are some in our church who are Democrats, and they love Jesus with all their hearts. There are some in our church who are Republicans, and they love Jesus with all their hearts. There might even be a few libertarians out there who love Jesus with all their hearts. Guys, it's Jesus is above and beyond all of that. What matters to him 
is the eternal destiny of every living person on this planet. Kingdoms rise and fall. Political parties come and go. But people are for, forever, and that's why the, their eternal destiny is what matters most to him. And that's why we must commit to changing the world one person at a time. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what we must go and do. I want to make a statement that some of you might disagree with, but I, I, I'm pretty sure about this. I think the main conflict in our country is not over liberal or conservative policies or Republican versus Democratic leadership. Why do I say that? Because I believe political parties and elected officials are merely a reflection of the culture that shapes them. I may say that again. I believe that political parties and the elected officials in our government are merely a reflection of the culture that shapes them. Why do you think they take polls all the time and, and are constantly, you know, trolling for data and, and information and trying to find out what the, the people... And I truly do believe that whether you agree with those in power or not, and many of you don't, that, they, that th those in governing authority over us right now are a reflection. They are there because they reflect the underlying values of our culture, maybe by 51% versus 49 but they tend to reflect what's going on in our culture. And that's why, please let me connect the dot for you. That's why we must commit to living and proclaiming the gospel, the good news. That's why we must lead people to faith, show them what it means to walk with Jesus, introduce them to relationship with God through Jesus, and then help them become disciples of Jesus, changed from the inside out by his life and by his power. That's what changes people, and people change the culture. And we get distracted sometimes by thinking we can change. We, the church, can change the culture through political agenda. I do not believe that's going to happen. I do not believe that's the, the, the way Jesus approached our world. And believe me, he could have addressed the political culture of his world, which was pretty corrupt and messed up. But what he did was he came to reach one person at a time to change hearts and lives. Because as people change, the culture changes. Write it down. As people change, the culture changes. Changes, And that's why God wants us to focus. The church can and should affect our culture. But it happens not best through a political agenda, but by changing the lives of those around us. Those we work with, go to school with, live next door to, those in our family, our friends. Let us draw people to God because we are people of mercy, not judgment. Let them see God in us. Let us be known for goodness rather than mean-spirited harshness. Let us attract people to Jesus. Jesus attracted people to him. He really did. Let us attract people to Christ because of the sacrificial kindness and generosity that we demonstrate. Let us lead the way in caring for the poor, the weak, and disenfranchised. Those are the values of the kingdom, and those are the things that matter. And as we, as we live for the kingdom, as we pr promote the kingdom, and people see the kingdom, then they'll be drawn to the king. I love the prophetic words of Micah, found in Micah 6.8, written to the people of God. Micah said, God has told you, O oh man or woman, and what does the Lord, what is good, and what the Lord does require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Justice, kindness, and humility. Those are the values of the kingdom, and those are the reasons why we need to look like Jesus and be like him, which takes me to my next point, number two. We need to be like Jesus and rise above the rhetoric and the sleaze. What matters most, I truly believe, that we ought to be marked by our words, by our lifestyle, by our actions as different than those around us. And we need to rise above the rhetoric and the sleaze and, and be like him. We should strive to make a difference in our world. Absolutely. But not first as a Democrat, 
or Republican or a Libertarian, but primarily as a Christian attempting to be salt and light in our world. Jesus in Matthew 5 looked at his disciples and he said to them, in verse 13, he said, you are the salt of the earth. And then the next, next verse, verse 14, he says, you are the light, small L, not like him, capital L, but you are the light of the world. Jesus looked at his disciples and he wanted us to forever understand this truth. We are salt. What does salt do? It flavors and it preserves. We're salt. And he says, and I want you to be light. You are to be like me, to, to illuminate the darkness. We don't illuminate by screaming at the darkness. We illuminate by being light in the midst of it. And I believe that this happens primar primarily best not through a political agenda or through a political party. It happens best as we look like, talk like, and live just like Jesus. How are we best salt and light in our world? As we look like, as we talk like, as we smell like, as we live just like Jesus in our world. And here's a little insight. Maybe you've figured this out already. Too often the, in the political realm, things are foul, harsh, vile, and broken. Too often it's full of half-truths, if not outright lies. Too often it's reactive and data is manipulated to create fear. Too often it's divisive and pugnacious. By the way, one of the things God says he hates is dissension. It's, he doesn't want that, and it's, it's too often that's the political nature. It's just extremely divisive and pugnacious. I, I'll go on record and say, I hate attack ads. I'm just, I cannot stand the, the, the garbage that just we're, we're blown away with every time you turn on the television. But too often, the political realm brings out the worst in our human nature. Again, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't be involved in politics. I'm just saying that we need to be like Jesus. Do any of the things I just mentioned sound humble, kind? Good to you. Are they Christ-like? And what is disturbing to me is at times, and I'm not thinking of any of you, so relax, but at times, some Christians say and do things in the name of God and Christianity that are anything else but being like Jesus. We say and do things in the name of our God that are just not like him. Hateful, spiteful, mean, harsh, divisive, pugnacious. That's not the way Jesus was. Paul, near the end of the book of Romans, got very, very, very practical. And he spelled out for us in a passage I'm going to read to you right now what ought to be the marks of our life. Romans 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but, we're willing to, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Those are the marks that just some powerful ones, but marks of, of our character, of the life that we are to live as Christ followers. And I want to suggest to you that is starkly different than what tends to happen in the political world and in our culture right now. I know a pastor turned politician. He's no longer pastoring a church. But quite frankly, he's, he's hateful. He's horrible in his treatment of those who oppose him. 
And sadly, if you didn't know he was a Christ follower, you wouldn't suspect that he was. But he constantly is telling everyone that he's a Christian on a moral crusade. I'm a Christian on a moral crusade. And I find it hard to see or hear Jesus in him, and that bothers me. And by the way, on a side note, using the words crusade and Christian in the same sentence, not really a good idea. Crusades were not the church's finest moment, but that's a whole other issue. But he's, he's mean, and he's harsh, and he, he's just like everybody else. And I'm thinking, how is that like Jesus? Is that honoring God? Now listen, if God has called you to public office, and some of you he has, then do so. But strive to make a difference, not as a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian first, but first and foremost as a Christ follower who rises above the fray and who is salt and light in the midst of our world. And all of us, whether you're involved in politics or not, all of us need to be careful with our words and with our actions. We need to be careful and measure our life by the life of Jesus. Do we look like him? Do we sound like him? And one other thing I want to mention along this line is please don't reduce our national well-being to a team sport. You know, we all have our favorite team and we want them to win and, and to kick the Patriots' butt today. And, and uh, you know, I, I know that. But we can't, we can't reduce the welfare of our nation. We are the United States. We are in this together. And when it's done, and it will be in a matter of weeks in terms of this election, we need to remember that we are in this together. And we cannot afford to reduce our national well-being to a team sport. And one little thing else I want to mention, and I'm, if I haven't pushed your button yet, I'm about to. Uh, I want to mention this along the lines of rising above rhetoric and the sleaze. Scripture tells us that we are to pray for and to honor our governing, governing leaders. The Bible says this. Not Kurt, not me. I didn't make it up. The Bible is clear on this, that we are to pray for and honor those in authority, even the ones we disagree with, even the ones we can't stand, even the ones that we didn't vote for, even the ones who are wrong, the bad ones. We are to honor them and to pray for them. Let me just read through. I will resist the temptation to preach out of these passages. But let me just read some passages to you and let the word of God speak to your heart. This is the, the double-edged sword. This is the word of God which is sharper than any two-edged sword. Let it pierce your heart. Some of you need to hear this. 1 Timothy 2, 2. Pray for kings and everyone who is in authority. Now, I am not a Greek scholar like Pastor Jeff, but I looked up the word everyone. Guess what it means? You guys really are brilliant. Yeah. Pray for kings and everyone who is in authority. Romans 13, 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And people go, tilt, tilt, you, what? You, that can't be possible. Not that party, not that guy. But the Bible says that overall God is sovereign. He's in control. We don't understand how he works sometimes, why he does what he does. Maybe it's bringing discipline to us. Maybe it's bringing blessing to us. But God is ultimately behind all of this. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind the believers, that would be most of us, to submit, that is to yield to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. I, I don't think it gets any clearer. We're not to slander anyone. Instead, we should be gentle and show true humility 
to all, to everyone. And one last verse that's powerful. First Peter 2, 17. Peter says, honor everyone, even the people you don't like. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Love the community of faith. He was big on community too. Have respectful fear for God, awe and respect for who he is. And then this last three words of verse 17 should blow you away. Peter says, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. You may not know this, but let me dial it up for you. The emperor he's referring to here is Nero. One of the most wicked, perverse leaders to ever rule on planet Earth. Murdered his own family. Murdered Christians, burned them at the stake. Horrible, vile, terrible, terrible person. And Peter wrote this letter to those, most of whom were slaves, and many of them Romans and Christians, some who had had family persecuted and, and killed at the stake, some who had been horribly mistreated by this ruling man, this emperor named Nero. And, and Peter says, honor, honor the emperor. What does that mean? It means respect, give what's due. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to obey everything they said. You know, somebody said, well, is that, what if we, you mean to tell me that if, if you were around when Hitler was, which I wasn't, by the way, if you were around when Hitler was, was in charge, that you would, you, you know, you'd, you'd go along with him? Not at all. We can, we can not choose to do something based on, we don't have to obey everything they say. If it's in clear disagreement with the word of God and the principles of God, the moral law of God, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to kill Jews. Never going to happen. If I was in that country at that time, never would have happened with me. But I still have to show honor. I still have to pray for those in authority. It's a heart attitude. And so let me cut to the chase and bring this down to the real world where we live. And again, I'm not thinking of anyone right now in this room. But if I'm speaking to you, listen carefully. If you are mocking your leaders on Facebook, if you're calling government officials names on Twitter or cursing them over coffee in the break room, the Holy Spirit is grieved by that because it is sin. It is one thing to disagree. We have the freedom. I thank God that we have the freedom to disagree. And it's, it, we can take a stand for righteousness. It is quite another to mock, ridicule, or call someone in authority names. And that's not godly. That's not like Jesus. Robust and passionate political discussion and debate is good. If you know me, you know I'm pretty passionate. By the way, I have opinions. I, I have strong opinions. And I'm going to vote based on what I believe God's called me to and what his word says. And those are all things that I would hold to dearly. But I, I need to practice respect and kindness and be Christ-like to all, to everyone, even those who disagree, especially with those who disagree. Remember, we are not called to win arguments. We are called to win people. Ultimately, we're about advancing the kingdom of God. And that's what we as Christ followers must put first and foremost. And so whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or something else, we stand together under the foot of the cross and we advance the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom. So pray. Pray for those in authority because God calls you to pray and honor them. Pray for their wisdom. Pray for their hearts. Pray that God would work in them and through them. I have a friend who's far from God. Never went to church, grew up, at, you know, completely outside of the church. And we've had many conversations about Christianity and about faith. And one of the things that has put him off 
is that he said to me on more than one occasion, how can you Christians be so full of hate and, and, and vileness and the way you talk about other people who disagree with you and say your God is love? And I have looked him in the eye on more than one occasion and said, you're right, please forgive me. Please forgive us. The church has too often not been known for the things that we should be known for. We need to be like Jesus. We need to rise above the sleaze and the rhetoric and live and talk and function as best as we can by his grace, just like him. One more thing, I'll be brief on this. What matters most, number three, use the Bible to help you vote with wisdom. What a radical idea. Use the Bible to help you vote with wisdom. One of the great benefits we have in our day and age is an unbelievable amount of information and data available at our fingertips. Google just about anything and you'll get a billion hits. It's amazing. One of the great challenges we face is the need to wade through all the information with a godly and biblical perspective. One of the reasons why we provide classes like the Matthew Journey and other classes for you to grow in your understanding of the Bible is because we truly believe the Bible is the Word of God. And you may not believe that yet, that's okay, you can disagree with me, but it is our moral rule, our guidebook. And just because you have information available to you on the internet, or if it's, you read something in the newspaper, or you hear something from your favorite TV you know, talk show host or news anchor, does not automatically make it truth. We humans tend to believe what we want to believe, and whatever fits best with our paradigm, with our worldview. And honestly, we do so because when we like something, we want to find something that supports what we like. But it's not always necessarily accurate or true, which is why I'm challenging you to dig into the real issues and to dig even deeper into the scriptures, into the Word of God. If you are a Christ follower, the Bible is your primary source of truth and the primary means for us to learn the will of God. And that being the case, let me suggest that we need to study the scriptures. We need to read a lot more of the Bible than we do all the other information that's out there for us. We need to study and look in the Bible for its precepts, its principles, and the direct commandments that relate to the issues at hand. And the Bible, I know you say, well, there's a lot of stuff the Bible is not clear. Yeah. Stuff that seems to be in your disagreement, well, maybe, but you know what? There's so much that is absolutely clear and, and very clear in the scriptures. And so the Bible is our map, it's our guide, it's our owner's manual, and we need to dig into the scriptures. And when I say dig, I don't just mean a pothole. I mean, we need to dig a well into the word of God to look into it and to say, God, show me how what this guy's saying or what this position is, how it lines up with the word of God, with your truth. And my family, I'm rather infamous for getting lost. Only place I never get lost is in the mall. Go figure. But I, uh, I, for a long time, had this crazy belief that using a map was weakness. <laughs> I don't need no stinking map. We'll get there. And uh, I, can, I would have saved myself so much time and a whole lot of conflict with my dear wife if I'd learned early on, use the map, Bubna. Use the map. I'm telling you, use the map, people. Use the map. Use the Bible. And remarkably, I've been a student of the Word for over 35 years. And I have dug deep into the Word of God. It's my life. I live there. And remarkably, the Bible speaks with one voice about what God expects from us. I know there's stuff that's debatable. I get that. But when it comes to the way we live, the Bible's clear. It's not okay sometimes to lie and sometimes to tell the truth. Truth is the pattern. 
The Bible's clear we're to honor. The Bible's clear how we're to live. The Bible's so much that it teaches us about the principles and the precepts of life that if we'll study them and, 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 and engage in them and then compare them to what's being said, the political platforms, to the political parties, to the, the candidates, then I think you'll understand what God intends for you. And along those lines, one last thing I'm going to say, and I, I want to say this passionately, exercise the privilege you have to vote. We have a privilege in this country to vote. We should vote with wisdom and not worry. We should vote not with paranoia or out of fear or because of all the hype in the media. We should vote with wisdom, but vote, vote. Use, and if you can't afford the 44 cents or whatever it's up to now, it changes weekly. You bring it, and I'll mail it for you. Vote. We need to exercise our right. But when we do, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, when it's all said and done, we need to trust God. We need to trust him. You need to trust him even if your candidate loses. Because ultimately God is in control, not Barack Obama or Mitt Romney, guys. Ultimately we need to put our confidence and our hope and our trust in him. Long time ago, Solomon, who was considered the wisest king leader of all time, wrote these words in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I'm going to quote this to you and then we'll move on. We'll be, we'll be done. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Trust in God, he said. Trust him with all your heart. Even when things don't go the way you want them to go. Even when things don't happen the way you voted. Even when things don't happen the way you expect or are convinced they need to happen. The Bible says, not just there, but throughout, from beginning to end, trust God. Trust in him. Don't lean on your own understanding what you think or your own way to figure it out. Trust in him and acknowledge God in all his ways. And the only way you're going to know his ways is to be in his word. Acknowledge God. And the Bible, the promises, he will direct your paths. I like to put it this way. He'll get you where you need to be. He'll get you where you need to go. And it all comes back to this issue. Trust in him. Jesus came to reach people, to love them to lead them to relationship with the Father. And as that happens, as we make that our primary focus, then that's how people are changed, and that's how ultimately a culture and a world is changed. And I, I don't believe it's too late. I believe it's still possible for that to happen even more. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for truth that you've given to us in your word. Thank you for the call to trust in you, to believe in you, to engage uh, our hearts and our minds in you. And to ultimately believe that you are the one that we can put our, our hope and our confidence in. And today, Jesus, I pray that we would leave here uh, focused first and foremost on the kingdom. Some will leave as Democrats. Some will leave as Republicans. Some will leave as other things. God, that's okay. But that we would all leave here first and foremost as people who belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that we would make your kingdom, your values, your purposes, our purpose, your agenda, our agenda first and foremost. And that in the process, Lord, we would look like, sound like, live like, be like, smell like, operate like, use words like you do, Jesus. That we would be salt and light in the midst of our culture. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed for a moment. Maybe you're here today, you've not started your life as a Christ follower. And you're thinking, you know, I, 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 I do want to be a Christ follower. I, I, want to, I want to invest in something that's eternal. And I want to embrace what Jesus did for me on that cross today and, and accept his grace and his forgiveness. And I want to follow that ruler, that leader, that king of kings. 
If that's you today, just in your heart, you've got to make a decision. The words I'm about to pray in a simple prayer are powerful, but really what matters most is what you decide right here. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. You believe, and you, you turn your hearts to him. And if you want to do that today, just make this prayer. Father, forgive me. I've gone my way. I've trusted in my way. I've done it my way, and, and I've sinned. I've failed. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And I want today to begin my relationship with you as my king, as my Lord, as my Savior. And so I surrender. I submit my life to you. And I embrace that free gift you've offered to me of forgiveness. It's amazing to me that you've done this. And today I say yes to you. Today I believe that you are the one, the one and only, and I give you my life. Now if that's you in your own heart again, just say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I want. And the Bible says the moment you make that decision, heart. There's the belief. There's the moment where you cross into faith and relationship with the Father. Lord, thank you for those that are making that decision right now. Show them what it means and help them to walk out of here confessing with their mouth that you have saved them, that you've become their Lord and Savior today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with the last song we're going to give. Uh, If you're visiting today, you want to drop that communication card in the offering bag, please do so. I give to support what God is doing here because you love Jesus and love this church. But let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Let me thank you again for your patience with me, for listening. Let me remind you, Jesus said go and preach the kingdom of God. That's what we've been commanded to do, to preach his kingdom. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we go with his name, with his power, with his authority to do so. And we go to do it just like him. That's what I want you to walk out of here today remembering. We preach, we advance, we we push forward the kingdom of God. If today you begin your life in the kingdom, I encourage you, there's a packet of information. It's got a Bible and some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus by each of the doors on a table. Pick one of those up. But as I mentioned, even in my prayer, what's most important right now is for you to confess that, to tell somebody, to say, you know, today I began my life as a Christ follower. Come out, be honest. You say, today, I, I know I got a lot to learn, but today I gave my life to Jesus. Tell someone that you came with today. You'll bless them. Prayer team will be down front. There's communion both sides of the room. My last final challenge, stop. Take a look at the tables. Pick up one of those life group directories and ministry directories and get involved. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. I love you.